So we're in our series, actually getting to the end of our series. We have one more week, I think. Yes, one more week, and then there's Father's Day. So Father's Day, we start something new. So today, we've got another woman we want to talk about uh, that doesn't have a name. She's the Shunammite. And she's called that because she's from, oh, you're so smart. Y'all, y'all got your Bible down. Yes, she's from Shunem. It's a city in, in, in Judea, and uh, uh, she's, it's a Jewish town. Um, and, and I have preached this. How many knows I've preached on the Shunammite woman and Elisha? whole sermons on this, and I've referred to it countless times. So it's like, what have you got left to say? So I'm, I'm not going to get into everything, but I'm going to kind of get into some of the things. How many know preaching the words like, like an onion? You just keep peeling it, and, and, and there's just more and more and more and more and more there. So we're going to get into some things perhaps we never looked at before. But one of the things I want to look at, and we'll get into the, I'll read the story from Second Kings in just a moment. But one of the things about this woman is that, especially in the King James Version, it says that she was a great woman. And when you look at the Hebrew and how it's constructed and so forth, we understand that she was probably very wealthy. Perhaps, perhaps somehow she made the money rather than him, which is very rare. She was a very wealthy and influential woman in the community and in the family. She's kind of the decision maker. And I'll, I'll touch on this as we go through it. But I think one of the reasons I want to bring that up is, and, and, and you know my heart, the way I feel about women being called to preach or women being called to ministry and women in leadership. And I've always been this way, and God has just laid this. Over half of our staff are women. So I just want to I just want I just want to say this that we have some of the greatest women in ministry that any church could have anywhere in this country. You ladies are amazing. Give yourselves a hand. Amen. You husbands, you better you better Like I said over half of our staff are women. Are y'all praying for me? Y'all praying for me? Great women. And we want to talk about one more great woman. Second Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. Let's, let's get into the story. One day Elisha passed through Shunem. A leading lady of the town talked him into stopping for a meal. And then it became his custom. Whenever he passed through, stop by for a meal. Amen. It was like, it was like Arby's. He was just there every time. I'm certain, said the woman to her husband, that this man who stops by with us all the time is a holy man of God. Why don't we add on a small room upstairs and furnish it with a bed and desk and chair and lamp so that when he comes by, he can stay with us. I, I've been blessed with a lot of things, but no one has added a, an addition to their house. I have never heard of anybody putting an addition on their house for a preacher. But she's putting a room addition on the top of her house, 
And I, and I want you to get, and I'll keep referring to this woman because I want you to see her in a different way than you've ever seen her before. Because when you look at it in the, in the Hebrew here, she's not asking him permission. She just says, we're putting a room up on the house, dear. And it's kind of like, you know how you ladies pretend like it's his idea? So I don't know how she did it exactly, but she made it quite clear, we're doing this. I mean, this is no small thing to put an addition on your house just for a preacher who drops by once in a while. And it wasn't a big addition, but it was, it was, it was, he had a beautiful view up there. I've preached on this about the, the table and the chair and the lamp and, and the bed and what they all symbolize and everything. But, but th- this woman says, we're going we're gonna to take care of this man of God. And I'll, I'll revisit that in a little bit. So it happened that the next time Elisha came by, he went to the room and laid down for a nap. How many believe in naps? That they are a spiritual thing. It's called laying before the Lord. Then he said to his servant Gehazi, tell the Shunammite woman, doesn't have a name, I want to see her. He called her and she came and he got it from his nap. And through Gehazi, Elisha said, you've gone far beyond the call of duty, amen, in taking care of us. What can we do for you? Do you have a request that we could bring to the king or to the commander of the army? She replied, nothing. Now remember this. I don't need a thing. I'm secure and satisfied in my family. I got everything I need. Elisha confirmed with Gehazi, there's got to be something we can do for her, but what? Gehazi said, well, she has no son. How many times does that come up in Scripture? You know, because we preached on it through this series. And her husband is an old grump. I mean, an old man. We're going to talk more about him a little bit later. You heard about grumpy old men? Call her in. Notice he's not talking to the husband. Call her in. Elisha said he called her and she stood at the open door. How many know everything comes through the open doors? She's standing at the, oh, you know, I could preach that. Just, just follow that rabbit till it reproduces. Amen. Elisha said to her, This time next year, you're going to be nursing an infant son. Oh, my master. Oh, holy man. Holy man. Don't play games with me, teasing me with such fantasies. You know what this means? This woman had given up. Don't tease me. Don't mess with me. I wonder how many other prophets came by and said, you're going to have a child. Never happened. I wonder how many times in her own mind she said, I prayed and fasted, and I thought I was pregnant. Nope. Now her husband's old, and there's no possibility anymore of, 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 of ever of ever having a child. Don't mess with me. I've, I've given up hope on this. It's not going to happen. Don't, 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 be, don't, be, don't be reviving that. Don't, don't get my, you understand what I'm, what I'm getting out of here. You get to the point where, don't get my emotions 
up again because I'm tired of being disappointed. Am I talking to anybody? I'm, 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 I get tired of getting disappointed. You know, I, I, I need to chase this rabbit because one of the things I hear so often over many years of pastoring is people say, I just about gave up. Or I gave up. Or, Pastor, I'm going to give up. I, I just feel like giving up. And you know what? Sometimes I just want to tell them, give up what? You know, if you're going to, you know, maybe that's exactly what you need to do. Because if you think you got to give up, that implies that you've been doing all the work. Oh, you'll get this later. Let me come down here so I'll make you more nervous. Give up, give up, give up. What are you going to give up? You, you, you feel like giving up because you've been doing all the work, because you've been trying to make things happen, because you've been involved in this, that, and the other thing, and you just need, you need to realize you need to give it up. You need to let Jesus do it. No wonder you want to give up when you're bearing the burden, when you're trying to pay the price, when you're trying to get it done. You need to forget Yeah, I understand what you mean now, but if you mean give up Jesus... What is the sense in that? You're going to go back to that old life? Is that what you mean? Do you think you have, you have more going for you with the leeks and onions? You think life in Egypt is better than it is now? You know what? We live under divine favor. But favor doesn't mean everything goes your way. It doesn't mean life's always the way you want it to go. But favor means he never leaves you, never forsakes you, goes through it with you, strengthens you, carries you, loves you, blesses you, whispers to you, talks to you, heals you, touches. Favor! Favor. It's all about favor, Greg. We're just entering into a time where God gives us faith. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? The woman conceived. Can I get an amen? A year later, just as Elisha had said, she had a son. She had a son. Come on now. Come on now. A great woman. She keeps, she sold into the kingdom, which leads me to a second thing. She was a great woman, but number two, she was a woman of hospitality. Now, when I say hospitality, I don't mean she was just a good cook. When I say hospitality, I don't mean just doing nice things for people. I don't just mean shaking hands out there in the foyer. I don't just mean, I don't just mean you know, I, I'm going to take care of this or I'm going to help this one. And, uh, it's, it's not just some cute thing you do. Hospitality. Hospitality means, definition, making room for God. And making room for other people. Oh, I lost you there. Because we are in a busy society. We only have time for ourselves. We, got all, we don't have time for this. We don't have time for that. Pastor, don't ask me to do anything. I don't have time. I don't have time. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. And, and then we wonder why we're not blessed. If you don't leave room, why would you expect a blessing? Oh, am I talking to somebody? It's time to make. Hospitality means to make 
room. If you're if you're hospitable, you add a chair to the table and invite somebody over. Amen. If you're if you're uh, hospitable, you build a, an extension on your house just so the preacher can come by. If you got a good view, build one for me. <laughs> come on, church. It hospitality means you got to get this. It means making room. Remember, Jesus couldn't find a place to be born in. Nobody made room for him. This has got to make something. This is going to mean something for somebody. We've got to find more ways to make room for Jesus. Hospitality is not just some tradition. It's not just doing nice things. It's it's making room for God's blessings. And God just poured it out on her. Why? Because one reason, she had a spirit of hospitality. It's one of our five core values that we just believe in sharing the heart of God, helping people understand what it's like to know Jesus, where his arms and legs, we've got to make room for people. That's why you show up on Saturday and pass out food. We're making room for people. That's why we go out of our way. That's why we do the things. You know, people say, hey, it doesn't take all that way. Let's just go to church and let's just sit in the pew and let's, no. No, let's make room. That's why when someone sits in our seat, we don't worry about it. I've been sitting here for 20 years. You're going to take my seat? Oh, you laugh. Churches have split over that. (laughs) Fighting over their chair. I remember years ago, I tried to get get you all out of that. We were in the old sanctuary. You all remember that? What a day that was. I said, next Sunday, you, I forbid you to sit. You have to, you have to sit somewhere else. I was so proud of myself. And they did, too. They all came next Sunday. Everyone sat somewhere else. It messed me up. I couldn't hardly preach. I didn't know where anybody was. I was the one that was in a rut. Be careful what you ask for. But it's time to make room for people. It's time to make people uh, make room for people at work. It's time to make room for people that we know. It's time to make more room for our family. It's time to make room for God. And then that's where the blessings come. Ah, hallelujah. Here's a woman. Here's a woman who's always pouring out. And finally now she's being poured into. I have a word for some of you. Come on, ladies. You, you just, you're just always, always giving, always pouring out, always giving out. And I'm here to tell you, there's, there's a season coming real soon where God's going to start pouring in. Your hospitality has made room for the blessings of God in your life. Oh, I feel that. I feel that in my heart. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's interesting, in this same chapter, chapter 4, the same chapter, there's the woman with the, with, with, that had her husband, the prophet, had died. They think that was actually Elijah's prophet. And she had nothing, right? And she said, all I got is a little bit of oil. He said, what did Elisha say? 
go to your neighbors and get every pot and every jug. I want you, and don't get a few. Just get every one you can. Knock on every door. You got any pots? You got any jugs? All I got is a set of coffee cups. I'll take it. Give me everything you got, anything that will hold water. Amen. And she gathered all those pots, and she began to pour the oil. And she realized, I poured, I filled up this pot and that pot. The pot I filled is bigger than the one that it came out of. And it's full, and so is the one I started with. And she keeps pouring, and she keeps pouring, and she keeps pouring. And as long as she had an empty pot, the oil just kept If you'll just keep making room, God will keep pouring out on you. Make room. Make room for God. But listen, I'm all over the place. You okay? Time to throw the notes away. They're they're on the sound booth going. Can I just preach what's on my heart? You okay? Jesus, help us. Hallelujah. But we know what happened. The, the son dies. The, the promised son. Good. See, they know where I need to go. The child grew up. One day he went to his, here we go, who was working with the harvest hands, complaining, my head, my head. The father, instead of taking the son to the, right, dad, that's what you do, she, he ordered a servant, carry him to his mother. Guys, we can't ever let work come before family. Get ready for Father's Day. The servant took him in his arms, carried him to his mother, laid, he laid on her lap uh, until noon and died. She took him up, laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door and left. Laid him on the bed, the bed she made for the man of God. She put him in the space she made for the man of God. You got to have some space with God. She called her husband, not asking, get me a servant and a donkey so I can go to the holy man. I'll be back as soon as I can. And then he's like, well, why today? Why do you need to see the preacher today? It's not even Sunday. You want to have a prayer meeting in the house? It's not Sunday. It's not even Easter. <laughs> Come on, church. You getting a picture of this, this husband? I hate to talk. I don't usually preach bad about anybody, but this guy, he needs some help. And she said, you, you getting a picture of this woman? She said, don't ask questions. I need to go right now. Trust me. Come on. She went ahead, saddled the donkey, ordering her servant, ordering her servant, take the lead, go as fast as you can. I'll tell you if you're going too fast. (laughs) How many believe she never said, whoa? 
How many believe she never said a little slower? She never said, watch those corners. She never. And so off she went. She came to the holy man at Mount Carmel. The holy man spotting her while she was still a long way off. How many know God sees us a long way off? He said to his servant Gehazi, look out there. Why? It's the Shunammite woman. She still doesn't, he still doesn't know her name. Quickly now, ask her, is something wrong? Are you all right? Your husband? Your child? She said, she said, her son's lying dead on the prophet's bed. The son that he, remember she said, don't, don't, don't mess with me. Don't give me false hopes. Don't get, why would God give me a son and then seven years later he dies? She's not questioning God. She's going to the man of God. And she said, if God, reminds me of Abraham when, he, when God said, you need to sacrifice Isaac and give him back to me. And, and, and you know what Abraham said? He said, Isaac's the promise. That's God's promise. If, if Isaac dies, God will raise him from the dead because God is yes and amen. And if he promised, it's going to happen. She runs to the prophet. Her son's lying dead on the prophet's bed. And she gets a hold of him and holds on to him tightly. And Gehazi, oh, leave her alone. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. Can't you? But but Elisha says, leave her alone. Can't you see? She's in distress. God's not letting me in on why. I don't know what's going on here. But oh, hallelujah. She begins to tell him what's going on. It is well How can it be well? Come on, I I have walked through that valley, that dark valley with parents that have lost children. It's a dark place. How in the world do you say it is well? That song messed me up. That song messed me up. Jesus. I'll come back to that, but in Acts chapter 8, we never preached this before. This woman is mentioned again in Acts, Acts, 2 Kings chapter 8. She's mentioned again. And you can scroll it there, but what what happened is Elisha went to her, not her husband, (laughs) went to her and said, there's going to be a famine for seven years. You need to get out of town. The Bible says she packs up her family. Again, she does it. She packs up the family. They're gone for seven years, and when they come back, someone else had taken their farm. They had nothing. She goes to the king. She goes to the king. And and when she goes, when the seven years were up, the woman and her family came back. She went directly to the king and asked for her home and farm. Notice the husband's not doing the husband's. Where are you, Jack? Come on. She went directly to the king and asked for a home and farm. The king was talking to Gehazi, servant to the holy man, saying, tell me some stories of the great things Elisha did. It so happened, say it so happened, 
It so happened that as he was telling the king the story of the dead person brought back to life, the woman whose son was brought back to life showed up asking for her home and farm. Just so happened. Gehazi said, my master, the king, this is the woman. This is her son whom Elisha brought back to life. The king wanted to know all about it. So she told him the story. The king assigned an officer to take care of her, saying, make sure she gets everything back that's hers, plus all profits from the farm from the time she left until now. (laughs) Now, remember, the first time Elisha asked her if she needed anything, she said, I don't need a thing. I don't need a thing. How many know there's been times in your life where you said, I don't need a thing. God's good all the time. I'm blessed, highly favored. I'm fine. I'm just great. She gets a son on top of that. He dies, and Elisha raises him from the dead. Can you imagine her testimony that morning? I bet her pastor gave her 15 minutes. You raise somebody from the dead, Greg, you got all the time you want. <laughs> He'll give you the whole service. You lay hands on these dead people in here. And <laughs> now you're all alive, right? Hey, man, I know somebody's saying, when is he going to get this over with? Our mama's not hanging there. Her son gets raised back, but now she's lost her farm. It doesn't even mention the husband. If she, if she lost him, that's probably a blessing. <laughs> I don't know. She's the one going to the king asking for the farm back, right? And, and just so happened that it, the Gehazi's there, and they tell the story, and, they say, and, the, oh, and the woman gets an officer from the court, and he makes sure she not only gets her farm back, but all the, you see, somebody's been farming it, and they took all the profits from that guy who stole it. Come on, devil. <laughs> whatever the devil's taken, God's going to give it back sevenfold. Amen. He said whatever profits were made over the last seven years, that guy, that guy who stole it, he doesn't get it. He said, I'm going to give you all the profits from seven years. There was a time she didn't need a thing, and now there's a time where she had nothing. But God took care of her both times, in both situations. She goes to the prophet, and she says, in spite of all her pain, it is well with my soul. We sang it this morning. I asked them to sing it. The song is an old song, older than you think. 1876. Only Brother Stitz remembers it. <laughs> I teased him this morning. I said, you know, we, uh, we've been in revival. And then it, then it actually I was talking to Sister Vip for a minute. And, and it hit me, the day the Holy Ghost broke out was the day y'all came back. So I'm blaming you for the revival. <laughs> He said, I'll take the credit. Amen. He's joking. How many know God's a great God? How many have loved being in revival? Oh, it's been great. Hallelujah. But, but, but watch this. 1876 is when he wrote it. 
Horatio Spafford. I think we got a picture of the guy. There he is, handsome guy. And, and here's what happened. In, 18, in 1871, he lost his son in the Great Chicago Fire. You remember that from your history books. The Great Chicago Fire, his son died in that fire. Not only did his son die, but just two years later in 1873 was the great downturn in the economy. And <clears throat> between the fire and the downturn, he had lost all of his businesses, lost everything. And he was destitute, financially broke. But there was a revival going on. How many have heard of D.L. Moody? Headquartered there in Chicago, but he was in England. Headquartered, I mean, he was in England having a revival. He, he sent his wife and his four daughters on ahead. He had business to take care of. He sent them on ahead to England, to London, to be a part of the revival. You know what? He's destitute, but he's still helping the work of the Lord. Hospitality. He still he said, Look, I don't have I don't have a penny, but I'm gonna make sure Pastor D.L. Moody gets blessed. Halfway across, the ship runs into another ship. The ship sinks, and all four of his daughters, y'all come up, all four of his daughters died, drowned. Only his wife survived the wreck. When she got there, she, she sent him a cable with two words on the cable. Here's, here's what the cable said. Saved alone. Saved alone. After losing four daughters, he decides he's going to go anyway to England. Books passage immediately. And as he's crossing the ocean, the ship stopped at the very spot where that accident occurred. And they said, sir, this is where the ship went down. Your four daughters are at the bottom here. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit came on him. And he wrote this song. It is well. It is well with my soul. How is that possible? How do you lose five children? Get wiped out financially. And not just say it, but write a song that has lasted from 1876 until now. A song that's been sung through the centuries. Songs that you have sung, that song you've sung yourself all alone in the shower. In the worst of times, I've sung it, haven't you? In the worst of times, I've, I've just stopped and looked up to heaven and said, It is well with my soul. Your life could be in tatters, but it is well with my soul. You may have lost everything, but it is well. It is well. It is well with my soul.